Bible is still moving, and I want to lead us in a prayer now, if we could, and I just love that focus on Jesus, and that He's the Lord, and He's the reason that we're here, and He's our focus, and we just hope that every one of us can come to just a deeper understanding of Him today, that we would come to the place where we'd be able to say, I'm in awe of you. I worship you, I bow down before you because you're the Lord. And I do that because everything that you say to me and ask of me is for my good, for my best. You know me best and you want the best for me. And one of the things we come to, when we come to an altar, it's also a time to pray. And so I just thought that this would be an appropriate time right now for us to pray for our friends and our loved ones and our family on the East Coast as Hurricane Irma is unleashing her fury on Naples and riding up the west portion of Florida right now. I have family members there. Uh, my wife's family lives in Florida on both coasts and up in the middle, and we have lots of friends in Florida, and so I know many of you do too. So let's just take a moment and pray. God, we just know that you are huge and that you're big. You're the creator of all things. And so we pray for our loved ones who are in the path of Hurricane Irma. And Lord, uh, my prayer is, is that it would decrease in strength and that it would, uh, that so that damage would be mitigated, that you would protect life, that people who do know Jesus would be uh, your arms and your hands and your feet, that there would be positive stories of churches in Florida who reached out and were uh, examples in their community of the love of Jesus, the love of Christ. And so we pray for their protection and uh, we release that to you and knowing that we can do nothing here, we can pray. Uh, help us not to worry. Help us to trust our loved ones into your loving hands. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go and have a seat now. That'd be wonderful. And so, um, I don't know, we've been fascinated by this hurricane for how long now? We've been watching it come and talking about its strength, and I don't know if you saw pictures of it and its breadth, uh, somewhere 600 miles wide, uh, and so I saw pictures where it was compared to Hurricane Andrew, and then this hurricane and made Andrew look like a, just a drop in the bucket in comparison, and you guys know I'm from Oklahoma, so I'm you know, fascinated by weather, and uh, and I'm just getting that in so I can say go Sooners, you know, from last night, so, yeah. <laughs> Woo, loved it. <laughs> oh, my word. I'm watching it still at three minutes to go, and it's 31.16, and it's way past my Saturday night bedtime, and Kim looks at me, she goes, why are you watching this? <laughs> she can't figure out why I would be not be in bed yet and watching it. I said, because, see, I, I'm, I know Oklahoma well. The Sooners is they could still choke, and they could still let something happen, you know, so... Uh, but it was just awesome experience to watch that. I know you guys don't care. That's uh, <laughs> okay, too. It really is. Now, uh, it seems that when we think about Jesus, there are a lot of ideas about who Jesus is. Am I right? A lot of, con you know, a lot of talk, a lot of thoughts uh, about who he is and then what he's doing in our world and how we can relate to that or not relate to that, if that would be our choice. 
Wouldn't it be great if we could hear from Jesus and he could talk to us about why he came, who he was, what he did, and how that would influence us? Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, I just want to say we can, and that's what we're going to get to do in this series together. We actually have Jesus Christ's own words as he describes himself as he walked the planet with the people of his day as he was there. He made seven statements about his identity that we're going to look at in this series. And each one of those begins with a two-word phrase, I am. We're going to talk about that in a minute. If you want to know what Jesus is like, I just want to challenge you. Don't let CNN tell you. Don't let Fox News tell you. Don't let Twitter or Instagram tell you. Don't let your teachers or professors tell you. Let the Bible tell you who Jesus is. Let Jesus tell you. So here's what we're going to do this fall, uh, that we've organized this so that everything from babies all the way up in our church are going to be going through the seven I am statements of Jesus this fall, all together. So all the children's ministry, they're geared up for this. They've worked really hard to you know, streamline a program that will be at every age level to be able to be understood. Student ministry, they're right on board with this. So if you have you know, students or you have you know, grade school kids, then you can talk about this and you'll be able to talk about what you learned and see what they learned and see if it's the same, right? And be able to help and learn together in your home. And so we're going to go to the Bible and we're going to look at who Jesus says he is in his own words. I just can't say that enough. This is Jesus speaking in his own words to the people of his day and also to us. So he identifies himself several different phrases using this word, I am, in the beginning. And then he chooses to reveal himself after every time he says, I am. So I'm going to encourage you right away, grab your message notes. Uh, they look like this, and they'd be in your program. You can pull them out. Uh, you can take notes. All the Bible verses we'll use today. Speaking of the Bible, turn to John chapter 6, because that's where we're going to find this I am statement. Uh, is in John chapter 6. And if you remember, we were in John chapter 6, those of you who were here, when we had our encounters with Jesus. And we actually are going to look at the follow-up of the story that we looked at that day when we talked about Jesus encounters the anxious. So if you weren't here, you want to go back and maybe watch and listen to that from when we were there. And so the question we want to answer is this as we begin the series, and this is the question that I had as I was starting to think about working on this. What did, the, what did Jesus mean and why did he start every phrase with this two words, I am, I am? Why was he choosing to say these two words to identify himself? Well, in order to understand that, you have to go all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Exodus, when the I am phrase was used for the first time. So let me give you some context here. God's people were being held in captivity. Moses was in the wilderness. God appeared before his boy Moses in the form of a burning bush, and he called Moses to go uh, to his people. And so he called him to go and speak for, him, speak, speak for God to the Pharaoh and say, let God's people go. And that's a great story. If you want to read it, it's Exodus chapter 3. We're actually going to look at a verse from there in just a moment, Exodus chapter 3. Well, Moses, he offers up excuse after excuse after excuse as to why God's got the wrong guy. You know, it's, uh, have you ever been there? You got, I think you got the wrong person. You know, you, you know who I am. You know what I've done, those kinds of things. That's my story for sure. And so he says, this is why I'm not your man for the job. And finally, he agrees to it, and he says yes to the call to go speak to the Pharaoh for God to say, let my people go. And then he says, okay, now I need to think about this. I can go say this, but you know, just me, Moses, who's been in the wilderness, I'm not going to have much impact. So well, who should I tell them sent me? Who should I tell them sent me? And 
to say, let God's people go. What authority do I have, is what he was asking. What authority do I have? And then God says these words in the Exodus 3.14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Who are you? I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. And you get Moses going, oh, that's not going to help. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's exactly, that's not good English. That's not, I don't know, but that's not going to help. So God, when he wants to identify himself, and this is the key for us today, because this is what Jesus chose as well. He names himself, I am who I am. I am who I am. I am who I am. As hard as that is for us to comprehend, this is what it means. It means that God is the one who created everything. We looked at that in our creed series. That he's the creator of all things. He created everything there is. He's the one who sustains everything as it is today. And he's the one that is working in the future. He will always be there. He's always in charge. He's always in control for every circumstance that we face. He's saying this. I'm the God who's always been. I'm the God who is. I'm the God that always will be. That's what I am means. It says that God doesn't depend on anything else for his existence. Pre-existent, he has nothing else that he relies on for his power, his might, his presence, his wisdom, his love. It's all in him. So when he says that, he says, I'm pre-existent. I am who I am. What he's saying to Moses at that moment, and this is the tender moment that we want to be able to get into this right now. He says, Moses, here's what I'm saying when I give you that name. I will be to you, Moses, who I am. You can trust me, Moses, that I will be to you who I am. Moses, I will be who you need. I will be who you need. See, this was both a declaration of who God was, but even more for, I think, the power in this, it was a promise of who he would be in the life of Moses. So he's basically saying, Moses, here's what, by me telling you this name, you just need to know, to understand this, there is nothing you could possibly face, there's nothing you could possibly need that is bigger than me, bigger than me. Any deficiency you have in your life, I am sufficient. I am sufficient where you are deficient. Let's get that straight. I'm, I'm sufficient in that way. So God says to Moses, Moses, quit looking at yourself, look at me. Look at me and what I promised you and what I can do. And then that name, I am who I am, in the Bible, uh, Hebrew Bible is Yahweh. And so in your Bible, it'd be capital L-O-R-D, all caps, L-O-R-D. That is Yahweh. That is I am who I am. It was such a, 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 a it had such reverence in the, in the people of God, in the children of Israel, that they wouldn't even say it. When you say the name, that so they had to use Yahweh, Lord, as the way to express it. And then Jesus comes along. This is what's amazing. Jesus comes along, and he uses a New Testament word. So now the New Testament is written in Greek, by the way. It's not in Hebrew anymore. He uses a New Testament word that means the same as Yahweh meant in the Old Testament to refer to himself. And this is what he says in John 8, 58. When asked by the, what authority was he doing these things, he said this. I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, what's he say? He, who's he say he is? I am. I am. Can we just underline those words? They're going to be key. I'm really going to comp, uh, focus in on this this morning. We don't talk about this much the rest of our series but I really needed to set the, you know, the frame for what we're going to be doing in this series. These two words are translated from a Greek phrase. We're going to pop this up here. Ego 
me, ego a me, which means I am, which means I am, and it actually has a stronger saying. Uh, it says, I am who I am. Again, I am who I am is what the, it's basically a, a double word there. So I am, I am is what it's saying here. He's saying that's who I am. And when he uses this phrase, he's immediately, for his hearers, what they're hearing is that he's saying he's God. So, you know, right now people are wanting to kill him because he said he's God. But also people are wanting to follow him because he said he's God. And they're wanting to place their faith and trust in him. So what he's saying is, here, just as God always has been, I am. Just as God always has been, he's saying, I am, and you can trust me. I've always been, so Jesus was with God and with Moses there in the desert. I currently am, right there, right in that place. And Jesus is saying, just like God, I always will be. I am perfect, I am superior, I am creator, I'm sustainer, I'm God. So I want you to remember that every time, you know, every week, we're going to look at this phrase, I am. So when Jesus is saying, he's saying, I will be all you need. I am God. Trust me, I am. So let's move into John 6, and let's listen to words he tells the people in his own words just who he is. So let's take some little context here, in case you weren't here a few weeks ago when we talked about Jesus encounters the anxious so what's happened before what we're going to look at today is jesus has just fed what we call the five thousand now that was five thousand the bible says men so that means they're more than likely ten to twenty thousand when you included you know women and children along the way but they always just counted men for some crazy reason and so when you get to that he fed about ten to twenty thousand people using five loaves and two fish this is an amazing moment in jesus ministry in fact, it was so amazing that this is uh, recorded in all four gospel accounts, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus took what was only a lunch for a small boy. He was so enamored by Jesus' teaching that he forgot to eat lunch. Anybody who's had boys and understands that, and they come home with their lunchbox still full, haven't even touched it yet, understand that. And he used that lunch to feed an entire crowd. So here's what we need to say. Where we're deficient, he's sufficient. That's what we see in that story. And the beautiful part, we're going to get to this at the end of our time today, is that they not only fed everybody till they were full, had all they wanted to eat, but also they had 12 baskets of leftovers. They didn't have a word for leftover in this culture because it was a, you have what you have today and then you fight for what you need tomorrow. That was the culture that they were living in, 12 baskets. So with that in their minds, with this sign before them that what has just happened, this miracle, we're going to pick up the story. Somehow, uh, the, you know, Jesus has sent his disciples across the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and as they've gone across, um, he's met them walking on water, and the storm calmed all that. Well, somehow they figured out that Jesus was on the other side with the disciples, and so they went around, hurried. Fifteen to 20,000 people ran around the lake. They came to Jesus as quickly as they could because they wanted more bread. They wanted more bread. They didn't know they needed Jesus yet, but they knew they needed food. They knew that they'd been in a situation where everybody was fed to more than they wanted, and there were morsels, 12 baskets left over. They'd never experienced this ever. And they're like, sign me up for that meal plan. I want to be part of that. And this is what happened. Let's just begin they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. So they're asking for more of that. And so they just witnessed the sign. This is why, you know, it's crazy 
I, I do this. I, sometimes I found myself recently, just, God, I just need a sign. I need a sign from you, somehow that you're there, you're real. Well, they had just gotten a sign, and now they're asking for another sign. So they had just gotten the witness as these, you know, he had fed 20,000 people. I'll just say this, folks. Signs never convince. They never fully convince. If it's, it's a sign that you're seeking, you're always going to need more as you go in order to be able to believe. He says this, what can you do after all our ancestors, this is what they're saying, what can you do after all our ancestors ate manna while they were journeyed through the wilderness? The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus is going to correct this in a minute because the scriptures don't say that. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. Nothing came from the hands of Moses. It came from God. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. You might circle that, underline that, the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one, oh my gosh, now he's saying Jesus is the true bread, the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. They still aren't making the connect here. It's kind of like the woman at the well who said, she just give me all that water, just keep giving me the water. And Jesus wasn't talking about water at all. He's talking about spiritual needs and concerns. That's the same thing that's happening here. They're saying, just give me more food, give me more food. That's all I really need is more food. And Jesus replied, I am. Ego me." Ego me, I am. So he says, I'm God. I am who I am. I'm God in the flesh. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, he says, will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So today we're going to start by talking about I am the bread of life. How many of you, like me, are bread lovers? Oh my, oh my. In fact, in preparation for this, I went to the store and uh, kind of hide which store it was here. So if I can do that, so don't promote one store. But we have a bag here. And so I went into the store and I was thinking, I'm going to go down the bread aisle and uh, look at all the bread. You know, there's you know, like 75 or 80 different kinds of bread when you go to the store. It's amazing. So as I was walking into the store, because I love bread, I can't get enough obviously. And so I just keep wanting. So I walk in and I was, I was getting around the corner of the store and I, I go by the bakery section. So I never even made it to the bread bag section. Okay. So I get to the bakery section and I walk over and I see these. It says handcrafted, mm, handcrafted bread. That can't be better than handcrafted, right? So I get there and I pick up the first loaf and it was warm. They must have heaters underneath those bread things to keep it warm because that's all it took right there. It was warm, so I just started grabbing them off and putting them in my bag. I only needed two for today, one for this service, one for the next one. But I just kept getting some. In fact, I got some garlic bread, took that home and had it last night. Couldn't, couldn't resist. And so I love bread. Do you guys love bread? Oh, the smell. Oh, my word, the smell of bread. And, so, and you break it open Oh, don't you want some? Is your mouth watering? Oh, my word. We just love the concept of bread and what it does for us and how it doesn't sustain us, but it actually fills us in many ways. But see, folks, this is the bread we have today. It's much different than the bread of Jesus' day. And also, bread in our day has a much different level of importance than it did in Jesus' day. 
I'd give you this, but I already put my fingers on it, and so you wouldn't want it, right? So you're going to let me take it home, right? That's what you're going to do. I'm going to take it home. So there we go, unless somebody steals it after the service. So in our day, bread is what? In our day, bread is a side dish, right? If you go into a nice restaurant, it's the pre-warm-up food that you get, and they bring you out warm sliced bread and maybe some kind of dipping sauces. You guys are going to wish I quit talking about this pretty soon. <laughs> and they give you all that. But in Jesus' day, bread was a staple. Bread was essential. It was an integral part of the diet of every member of that society, every common Jewish family. And you got to know, most of their energy was devoted to growing and gleaning and then cleaning and then grinding and then bringing it in and you know putting it as they had in flour and cooking it and they and this was their life they did this all the time every single day so that they could have everything to eat bread was essential to life it wasn't a side dish so we got to know that this is earth we're talking about they understand this is very important bread was often the main dish i'd like that wouldn't you <laughs> the main dish it was a staple, and having bread actually meant that it was, a, it was a key to survival, whether they'd be able to survive. So, by the way, this is where, you know, when Jesus is praying the Lord's Prayer, and he's teaching them how to pray, and he says, give us this day our daily bread. So when he's talking there, as he realized, it's a day-in and day-out struggle to have the food that they actually needed. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what Jesus is saying here is he said, guess what? I am what you need. I am the necessity you need. I am sustenance for life. If you're really going to experience life, you have to do it through me. Now, because that word life is so key and because it's going to come up again in this series, is I thought we might want to take a minute when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and talk a little bit about what does life mean, okay? So we'd understand that, because I think it'll be helpful as we go through this series together. And so, you know, English language, we're a little more, uh, our language is a little more difficult, because we can often have one word that has many meanings, right? And yet, in the, as I said, the New Testament was written in Greek. Well, the Greek language was more specific, and so they could have different words uh, that we would translate the same way with the word life, but it had different meanings for them because it had a different root. So I'm going to give you two words here for life, and uh, these are two words that you find in the Bible in the New Testament, bios, and biology, so it's the study of life. And so bios is talking about the physical part of life. The quantity of existence, so the, you know, the time that, that I get to exist and be part of life. So it's all about the physical part of life. Now, this word is used about 10 times in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, about 10 times. And then the zoe is the second word, and zoe refers to the spiritual part of life, the unseen part of life, or it, it really, according to the Bible, it's the highest level of existence. It's the highest quality of existence that you can have is a zoe kind of life. And it's used 125 times in the New Testament, just to show how much importance that the Bible puts on this. Now, as important, let's just say, it's very important that I take care of my body. 
it's very important that I take care of the physical concerns of life. It's very important that when I'm walking down the street, that I don't walk in front of a car thinking it's not going to matter. It's very important that I take care of making sure that I have air to breathe, that I take care of myself, that I'm not getting in the path of a hurricane today, those kinds of things. But it's even more important, according to the Bible, and this is where we get so flipped in culture, and especially as Americans, so flipped, is that we spend most of our time on what is important but not most important, and then Zoe life, we hardly even give a sneeze at. We hardly even give it time to. Is the kind of life that would actually be quality of life. Jesus is not saying that breath in our lungs is not important. He just puts putting emphasis now on the kind of life that lasts, the kind of life that we all want. When he says, I came to give life in all its fullness. Crazy as that may seem to you today, and I know this is right now where some of you get to wrestle for the rest of the week on this one, is crazy as it may seem, he's saying that physical life is not important as spiritual life. And he's referring to quality of life. See, the, most, the, the problem is, as I said, most of us spend our time on physical life and focusing on taking care of all of this so that I'm secure and we spend a lot less time focusing on Zoe life, the bread of life. So I'm going to give three things here. And some of you are thinking, oh, my, he's just now getting to the first point. Ooh, give me some bread, right? Give me some bread. But no, we're going to fly through this because I knew this was going to happen. And I just wanted to share three things about bread that are essential for us to know. And the first is Jesus is revealing that he saves us. He's the one who saves us. We've come to Jesus to be set free from our sins. Come to him. This is what he says going on in verses 38 through 40. And you might just underline a couple of words. I'll tell you when. we go. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God. You might underline the will of God. Who sent me. So he's saying again, I'm from God. Not to do my own will. And this is the will of God. You might underline it with the will of God. And here it is. That I shall not lose even one of all those he's given me but I should raise them up at the last day. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. For it is my Father's will, once again, my Father's will, that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I'll raise them up at the last day. So he's saying this. He's saying it's the Father's will that I come and save the world. That's the Father's will. Jesus said it so clearly in Luke chapter 19 when he was speaking to Zacchaeus, and he said, I have come to seek and save the lost. So that's his purpose. He comes to save. He came so that as he was broken on the cross, as his bios was broken on the cross, that we could, as he was broken, we could have the possibility of being put back together again and made whole. He came to make us complete. He came to give us eternal life, zoe life. And Jesus is saying, if you eat bread, you're going to die. If you eat bread, you're going to die. If you eat the bread of life, you will never die. So don't live for this slice of life right now. Live for that which never dies. He came to save us. Second is this on the back side. He came to, comes to secure us. Now, after I did my notes, and um, I left on Thursday, thought I was ready, done, and uh, complete, uh, I would change that today, and I'm going to do it right now, uh, to sustains us. 
And I would just ask you to remember it's both. He comes to sustain us and secure us. That's what he comes to do, and that's his promise. We're going to look here in these verses. We're going to move on to verse 47 through 51. I tell you the truth. So Jesus was a lot about, you know, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. So that's Zoe life. So belief gives you Zoe life. Yes, I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. They all died. Not only that, but manna died too, right? So every day manna would die, and then it would have to be replaced the next day. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. So they died. Well, everybody dies, right? But he's saying they died without zoe life. They died without eternal life in their souls and their hearts. And he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread, which this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world did I make this is that right? So the world may live is my flesh. So he's offering it so the world may live is my flesh. That makes sense now. He say, anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. And then he goes on and says this in verse 58. And this will be as far as we go in John today. I am the true bread, once again, true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. So they were looking for someone to fill their physical need, their bios needs. And Jesus draws a direct contrast to what is most important, and that is that their zoe needs would be taken care of. And what he's saying here is he's saying, you can trust me because I will give you food, I will give you sustenance that will cause you to live, so I'm going to sustain you, So because I am who I am, I'm going to sustain you. Where you're deficient, I'm sufficient. But secondly, I'm going to secure you. So he's saying, I will come and get you again. I will take you to be with my father. There will never be an end to you when it comes to being with my father in heaven. So when you come to Jesus, the bread of life, he fills you with the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. I don't know, but I just want to think about that for a minute because a lot of the things that we have or we hold on to in this world they're just not permanent, are they? I mean, we're going to see pictures this afternoon and video of complete devastation where all the bios needs of life have been ripped away. For the people in Florida, we're going to see that. We've seen that from the other hurricane that went, Harvey, that went through Houston. We see that through the fires that rage in California. We see that through earthquakes and other things. What we think is most important is oftentimes not the most important thing to God, not the most important thing to him. And what he does is he promises, he says, when you come to me, you're thinking that when you do this, you're gonna have security. Here's what I'm saying to you. When you come to me, you're gonna have security. You think that we're doing this and you're gonna be sustained? Here's what I'm saying. When you come to me, you're gonna be sustained and you can trust me. Third thing is this. Jesus reveals himself as the one who satisfies us, the one who satisfies us. Jesus wants you to know that when you eat of him, you will be satisfied. Now, I don't know about you, but um, as I was thinking about this, it took me a long time to be satisfied with Jesus completely. 
as I was moving from bios needs and from focus on this to being able to turn to him and say, so it's, what I'm saying today is it's something that you have to learn. It's something that you get to experiment with and you get to experience over time as you learn to eat on him. And this is what he said. I'm going to go back in verses 26 and 27. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. So underline that. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So he's saying don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. What was the main concern of their world? Food. Main concern. He said don't be concerned so concerned about that. And so what Jesus was saying here, what we can learn from this, is that we get to make a choice. We can consume spiritual things and make that be our primary focus in life, or we can consume perishable things and make that our primary focus in life. So what, what are perishable things? Can you think about that a minute? What are, what are some things that you've pursued that left you disappointed? What are some of the things we consume that don't fulfill or satisfy us? You want to help me out? What are some things that you, or someone you know, okay, not you, someone you know has pursued that you think has left them empty? Just yell it out. Fame, money, jobs, drugs, love, relationships, pardon? Bread? That wasn't funny. I'm teasing. You're right, though. Yeah. <laughs> Something else. Some, say? Possessions. So my list was career, job, relationships, love, retirement. And I know a lot of you are in retirement, but I see a lot of folks that when they get to retirement that it wasn't what they thought or things just changed completely and they didn't even get to live to you know, experience it. Um, body or health. I mean, you know, it's wonderful to want to be healthy, but it's not 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 so vital to be healthy that it would be all the, our focus. That that's all we live for is to have a healthy body, and we're so crazy about our diets and the things that we're putting into it. Health and fitness. Some of us it's sports. Just so enamored by sports and the trophies and the excitement and the thrills and the exhilaration and the adrenaline that comes from participating in sports. Some of it's our hobbies and what, do we, what we get to do when we're not at work and we put all of our energy and time into that. For some of us, it's our entertainment and just focusing on, well, if I just get more entertainment, I get this next fix. You know, if I get the next biggest theater screen, cross my eyes, uh, thing that I'm going to be happier. Some of us even, it's education. It's like, oh, if I just get more degrees, if I just learn more, if I read more, if I, you know, that's it. I'm just saying this. Jesus is not saying that these are not valid pursuits in life. He's not saying that at all. But what he's saying is these things will never ultimately satisfy you. They'll never ultimately satisfy you. They will never sustain you, and they will never save you. They will never save you. Only Jesus will do that. I'm going to go back to that verse again, John 6, 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
So the beauty of this statement is just like when God spoke to Moses and he says, I am who I am. And Jesus is saying right now, I am who I am, is that it's not just a declaration of who he is, but it's a promise of what he's going to do. It's a promise that he's going to fulfill us. What he's saying is, apart from me, there is no satisfaction. But with me, there is abundance. Now, I put this verse on here for you, verses 12 and 13, going back to the story of the feeding of the 5,000, because I want us to focus on abundance a moment. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So Jesus fed 20,000 people. He has leftovers. They ate until they couldn't eat anymore. They had 12 baskets of food left. In a culture where there was never enough, Jesus provided them with enough and more. Everyone was satisfied. This is so cool. Everyone was satisfied, and there was more. There was more. So here's the deal. Jesus always satisfies in every way. He always satisfies in every way. With Jesus, we'll always have enough. And so let him be the desire of your heart. Let him be the desire of your heart. And then he says in verse 29, this is how you do this. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we're just going to take a moment to pray. He invites you today to come to him with your hunger, to come to him with your thirst, to align with his purposes and desires. And Jesus, I thank you so much for this the truth and what we've learned today about you, the truth that you are God and that you declared that you will always be for us everything we need. You promised to save us, so we come right now. There just may be somebody here today who's never said yes to you and they've heard that you want to save them. And that person would want to say, now, Jesus, I want to be saved from myself. So you would want to say, Jesus, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I deserve punishment for that. There's no question. And I want to now ask you, because of what you did on the cross, to forgive me and to make me clean from my sin. I want to be saved by you. And now I want to also live a life where I'm going to come before the altar and I'm going to declare that you are the Lord. And now, Jesus, help me to live with you as my passion. Help me to learn what it's like to pursue spiritual things versus physical things. Help me to see if I'm out of balance in my pursuits. Is my life all about physical things? How much of my life is about spiritual things? about consuming you, Jesus, through prayer, through your word, through loving and serving others, through gathering with other people who love you to be encouraged and to encourage them. How much of my time is spent worship? How much is in my time spent meditating on you compared to all the time I spend on the physical things of life? And Jesus, this is so penetratingly 
important for me personally that I just want to confess in front of my family here that I've not been as consumed with you as I want to be. I learned that this week. I found a checkpoint for my life this week, and so today I declare Jesus. I said, I am going to pursue Zoe life to be filled completely by you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.